Father, I pray once again that the words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't think I will ever forget May 18, 1980. At about 8.32 in the morning, I was awakened from my sleep. Yes, it was a Sunday morning, and I was, shouldn't have probably been in bed asleep, but that's another story we'll talk about another day. I was a college student. What can I say? I just remember being woken up with this loud noise. No idea what it was. Didn't hear it again, so went back to sleep. I found out a few hours later that what I had heard was the eruption of Mount St. Helens. I lived about 100 miles southwest of Mount St. Helens, where I was in college in Newburgh, Oregon. And that day, the wind was blowing east, and so all of the ash covered eastern Washington and eastern Oregon and Montana and even places beyond. Exactly a week later, the next Sunday morning, it erupted again, and this time the wind was blowing west, and all of western Washington and western Oregon, including where I was in school and our home, was just covered with ash. It was like driving through a storm, only this warm, sort of flaky stuff was coming down all over the place. They shoveled about two tons of ash off of the flat roof of the gym where I was in college. And I, was, I have since learned that um, it was a series of, of small earthquakes that led to a large earthquake that created both of those eruptions. And I'm, I sometimes wonder if because that has been in the back of my mind all of these years, that it, it caused me to notice something in Matthew's account of the resurrection that I hadn't seen before. Because when you look at Matthew's account, he says there was a violent earthquake and the stone was rolled away. And I don't know exactly why Matthew is the only gospel writer to mention the earthquake. His, he seems his purpose for writing his gospel seems to be to convince uh, Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah and it makes me wonder if Matthew isn't sending a subtle message to them that the power of God that has been seen all throughout the history of the Jewish people as God's people and, the, and the, the ways in which God has exhibited his power are revealed one more time here in the resurrection of Jesus. And you see it throughout the history of, of God and his people. There is a story in 1 Samuel 14 which the Israelites are, are dealing with the Philistines. And the writer says that suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, and just then an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. There is another passage in Isaiah, chapter 29, in which he talks about how the work of God involves earthquakes, and great noise, and whirlwind, and storm, and consuming fire, and those are just some examples there is a, a New Testament story that if you went to Sunday school, you probably learned it about Paul and Silas. They were in Philippi, and they were beaten and put into jail. 
And later that night, as they are singing hymns, it says that an earthquake, a violent earthquake came and shook the jail, and all the cell doors came open. And the jailer is sure that everyone has escaped, and he might as well take his own life. And Paul yells out and says, no, no, we're all here. And out of that event, the jailer and his family and many others become followers of Jesus. The thing about that is that it happens at the moment. Matthew says that when Jesus dies, there is this great shaking of the rocks. And then we come to the resurrection. Jesus is risen, and an earthquake comes and moves the stone. There is something about God using things like earthquakes to accomplish his purposes. And you'll notice this is at this moment, at this time, right at that moment, which is what makes it the miracle, that God does it at just the right moment. And he uses these things. Now, I think it's important to step back a second and remember that earthquakes are not, are not a part of God's original creation. When God finishes on the sixth day of creation and he looks at everything and says, this is very good, everything is operating exactly as it's supposed to. Everything that God has created is working in perfect harmony. There is shalom in all the earth. And there, there would be, there are no earthquakes. But it's sin that has brought this about. It is, it is the, the brokenness of the world that makes these things happen. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not the son of a scientist. I'm not a close relative of a scientist. I'm not even a distant relative of a scientist. There's very little of science in my family. So I'm going out on a limb here to talk about what causes earthquakes. But I've, I can read, you know, you've got Wikipedia, and you know that's always right. But from what I understand, it, there, are, there are fault lines in the earth, and, and, the, and the rocks, these plates move. And sometimes they move, and they rub against each other, and they move smoothly, but sometimes they don't, and they catch and the pressure keeps building as they keep wanting to move but are unable to until eventually they break free. And it's at that moment, as I understand it, that the earthquakes happen. And it, when it rises, comes up to the surface, that's what we call the epicenter. And these things happen, and it's a, there's a destructiveness in our minds to earthquakes. Earthquakes create damage. They create destruction because that's what sin and evil does to the perfect world that God created. It's a part of living in this broken world. But what I find fascinating is that when you read through the scriptures, God is, our God is the one who can take what was intended for evil and destruction and bring good out of it. I mean, there's a sense in which that's sort of the theme of Scripture from beginning to end, that our God can take these things that are intended for evil, intended for destruction, and bring good things out of them, even earthquakes. And we come to this story, and it seems to me that one of the things that Matthew might be telling us here 
is that the earthquake is God's response to the claims of earthly powers. If you read through, particularly the last few days of Jesus' life, anyone who was there particularly, but even reading the story, you would, you would be convinced that the power, the, the power of what's happening is in the hands of the people of the temple and of the people in the Roman palace. It's the power of, of those who put Jesus on the cross. They have the real power. They are able to do whatever they want to do to whomever they want to do it. You want to argue with them? We've got some soldiers to convince you otherwise. We will force you to do what we want. And the proof of that is the cross. The Son of God ends up on a cross because of the power of the religious leaders and the power of the state. And everyone who would look at that would say, that's where power lies. And for two days, everyone believes that until the third day. And all of that changes. And one of the ways in which God exhibits his power is through this earthquake that rolls away the stone. I love the imagery that Matthew paints here. In chapter 27, Matthew describes what happens after Jesus' death. It says, the next day, the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate, and they told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I'll rise from the dead. So we want you to seal the tomb until the third day. And this will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. And Pilate replied, Take the guards, secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. What are they saying? We can keep Jesus from doing what he said he was going to do because we have power. And then an earthquake comes and the soldiers faint and run away in fear and the stone is rolled away and Matthew tells us that when the women show up, there's the angel sitting on top of that stone. I love that picture. You're just sort of seeing there, maybe his legs crossed, his arms folded like this going... What did you expect? Right? I mean, I don't know if this is true, but this is as close to angelic trash talking as you can get. Right? I mean, it's just sitting there saying, you thought that was power? This little pebble? You think it hold back God and his purposes and his power? They thought it could, but it can't. It can't. And the earthquake also points to the day, not only in that day, but the, the day when all of the power of God will ultimately be revealed. That day when Jesus comes and reappears and ushers in the kingdom and all of his glory, and then everyone will know the power of God. And if we believe that's true, if we believe that the power of God is revealed in the risen Christ, then it changes how we live. Our problems, 
are no longer the last word. Whatever those problems may be. Every week we pray for the persecuted church. It breaks our hearts. And quite frankly, sometimes it makes me angry about what our brothers and sisters have to go through in places all over the world. And I lament, and we weep for them, and we ache and hurt for them. And we may cry out to God and say, Lord, show your power. And when he does, we celebrate. And when he doesn't, we trust. That God is still at work. That God is still greater. That the day is coming when that will be revealed. And we live in that truth. In spite of the fact that we don't always get to see it. It means that the things that you and I struggle with in our daily lives, things related to our bodies, things related to our work, things related to relationships, all the ways in which struggles and burdens and and pain comes to us. If Christ is risen and that reveals the power of God, then we can live in those things with a different mindset than people who don't believe that's true. We can live in the faith and trust that despite what we're going through and despite the reality of what we're going through, we can trust God that he's greater. And it doesn't diminish the reality of of the pain and the struggle and the presence of evil in this world and the presence of sin in this world, the presence of brokenness in this world. It doesn't minimize that. It just gives us hope in the midst of it. That no matter what it looks like, God is greater. And if that's true, which is the foundation of our faith that it is true, And not only does it it change our perspective about problems and struggles and, and evil in the world, it changes how we live out our faith in this world. Far too often, far too often we are tempted to live in a spirit of fear and a spirit of anxiety. Far too often, we we look around and we see, just like the the early church did, they looked around and they saw that everybody who was opposing Christ had all the power. And the temptation is to say, the way to address that, the the way to overcome that, the way to bear witness in the middle of that, is to grab all their power back. To use the same strategies that they're using. But if Christ is risen, and that reveals the power of God, the ultimate power of God, then we realize that we operate from a different strategy. We operate from a strategy of faith and trust and truth and love. It is only because Christ is risen, and all that that means that the Sermon on the Mount makes any sense. Unless Christ is risen, it doesn't make any sense that blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
It doesn't make any sense. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. But if Christ is risen, and the power of God is revealed to be the ultimate power, then going the extra mile and turning the other cheek and building our lives on the rock, the foundation of who Jesus is, despite the fact that everybody else says we're fools. It's the only way to live. It means... It means that that the, the greatest commandment makes sense. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. John 13 makes sense. That Jesus, who has all authority and power, takes up a towel and a basin of water and washes the feet of his disciples and says to them, Here's my new commandment. What I've done for you, you do for each other. This is what it means to follow me. Jesus' command, if you want to be my disciples, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me, now makes sense. Matthew 25 now makes sense. That we give ourselves away to people who have no ability to give back to us. We come and we serve. And we give ourselves away in love and compassion and grace that people might know the truth of who Jesus is. And Philippians 2 makes sense. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, all the power and the authority of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became a human being and humbled himself and took on human flesh and sacrificed himself to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That only makes sense if the resurrection of Jesus declares the ultimate power of God over everything. Everything. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. If you ever look at the fine print on insurance things, one of the parts of that is always what they call acts of God. I've always found it fascinating that the acts of God are always destruction. You notice that? The acts of God are when the tree falls on your car. Acts of God are tornadoes and disasters and all those things. Those are called acts of God. I saw a pamphlet a few years ago that grabbed my, the title of it grabbed my attention. It was called Protecting Yourself Against Acts of God. I thought, man, that's too good. I got to hang on to that. I'm going to use that sometime today. That's the mindset of so many people. And quite frankly, 
That's sometimes our mindset. But Easter says to us, we don't have to protect ourselves against the acts of God. We embrace them. And we celebrate them. And we live in them. Because Jesus Christ, who was dead and buried, is alive. And he's ascended to the Father, and he is returning when all the power of God will be revealed. And that's the truth in which we live this day and every day. And the question for us is, not just do we believe it, but do we live like we believe it? Father, we thank you that Christ is risen. We thank you that you are the almighty God. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, every part of our being to embrace this truth. That we might live in it every day. Amen.